the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. So what exactly happened with this pipeline hack, as it's being called? Uh, We went right to the source, a guy that would probably know better than most people in the country. Because I suspect this is something that's been on his plate as an issue and something that they forecast and wondered about and talked about and planned about for the last four years. He was the Secretary of Energy under President Trump and a frequent guest of this show. We were so glad that Dan Briette could come back with us to to talk about this incredibly important issue. Mr. Secretary, thanks for your time this morning. Hi. Hey, Chris. Great to be with you. How are you? Well, I'm, I'm well. I'm concerned, I won't lie, particularly as I hear our neighbors to the south in uh, the Carolinas are issuing emergency declarations. I'm seeing these gas lines and wondering, you know, when I hear a pipeline is hacked, whatever that means, uh, half the nation's supply is now being um, monkeyed with, for want of a better term. That it, it sounds pretty dire. Is this surprising to you that this happened? What's it mean? Well, unfortunately, it's not terribly surprising because we've known about these uh, vulnerabilities for quite some time. We've been working closely. When I was Secretary of Energy, we worked closely with the private industry to fix some of the issues that we saw. We have some real adversaries in, in the world today, Chris. As you know, you and I have talked about this in the past, uh, Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, uh, they don't like us very much, and we are under constant attack. And one of the things that they know and they they have been very uh, aggressive about is attacking our critical infrastructure. And this pipeline is perhaps one of the most critical parts of our energy infrastructure in, in in the United States. As you pointed out, over half of the refined product, diesel, gasoline, jet fuel, goes through that pipeline, and it goes up to places like Philadelphia and New York, down from Houston. And, um, you know, what we're seeing today is unfortunately something that we predicted some time ago. And it's very important that the private industry step up, fix some of these issues uh, quickly. So the owners of this pipeline, um, uh, Colonial, is that they, are they, they own it? The Colonial, it? correct. Yeah. Correct. Uh, private uh, private company. Would you put then this hack on the back of Colonial and say you didn't do enough to thwart it or hoard it off in advance? No, I don't think it's something that we need to blame them for. It's something that we need to all together as Americans recognize is a real threat to us. Uh, China is not our friend. So, you know, when we look at people like John Kerry and others travel around the world and tell us that they're going to talk to China and have conversations that only they seem to be able to have, at least in their own mind, then we need to understand that those things are not correct. Uh, China is not our friend. Iran is not our friend. North Korea is not our friend. Russia is not our friend. And... We need to recognize that, and it's both Americans and the folks in the energy business and private sector energy business. We need to need to take appropriate steps to protect uh, not only our intellectual property and the things that we do well here in America, the innovation that we bring to market. We have to protect that as well. We also have to protect the physical infrastructure, and in this case, it's a pipeline. I mean, I don't want to be a fatalist. I don't want to run on Chicken Little and have my head on fire about things. But these sorts of things make me think, yee, we seem really, really vulnerable 
to being crippled easily. And uh, when our adversaries run test runs like this, uh, it kind of demonstrates to the world how vulnerable we are, does it not? It does. And as we've, as we've begun to put much of our lives online, we've made ourselves vulnerable in that sense. And, um, you know, we need to think about that as well. I know it's very convenient to get on your iPhone and it's very you know, convenient to use things like online banking. We all do it. Uh, but we need to understand we're, we're making ourselves vulnerable when we do that, especially if we allow the manufacture of certain types of products to be done in foreign countries. For instance, when I was Secretary of uh, Energy, we noticed that in what's called our bulk power uh, part of the grid, it's uh, the, the part of the electricity grid that provides the enormous amounts of electricity that goes across those big transmission towers. We noticed that in some of the transformers that were being made in China, there were certain components in certain parts of the equipment that just didn't belong there. Well, lo and behold, you know, they were there because the Chinese were manufacturing the transformer and they were putting in data collection units that were sending information back to Beijing. And we, we need we need to be aware of those things and, again, to understand that to the extent that we move this type of manufacturing, especially for our critical infrastructure, over to places like China, who is our adversary, uh, we make ourselves vulnerable. And so when we talk about half the country's needs, I assume mostly here in the Northeast and in the East Coast, this particular pipeline, does this not open up the conversation to how do we supply enough energy? How is there a backup? How is there not a backup, I guess? How do you cripple half the country's energy needs in one hack? And what can we do better to make sure that if sure. something like this happens again, we don't see half the country knocked offline? I think maybe the answer is obvious. Things like the Keystone XL pipeline, for instance, which the Biden administration put the brakes on the second they hit the White House front door, comes to mind. Is that part of it? Uh, absolutely, uh, Chris. I mean, it, it helps to understand the history of the Colonial Pipeline and how do we get here. One of the reasons we got here was because refining was shut down in places like New York and candidly in Pennsylvania as well. And when when you shut down those types of facilities, you make yourself dependent upon others who continue to refine products like gasoline and diesel and jet fuel. And that's done in places like Houston and other parts of the country. So that product has to be shipped to the Northeast if you're not going to make it locally. So one of the answers to, to increase our energy security is to have redundancy in our systems. It's to, it's to permit pipelines. It's to permit transmission grids so that we can build out the infrastructure we need to serve all Americans. And that's, that's sort of the history here. We've closed down refining in the Northeast. We've closed down the ability to build pipelines uh, into places like New York, the Marcellus Shale. You and I have talked about this yes. in the past. Uh, Pennsylvania is blessed with natural resources, yet you can't get it to places like Boston because the state of New York will not allow the permitting of a pipeline through their state. It's those types of things that we have to address as Americans. Uh, if we're going to protect ourselves, if we're going to have energy security, if we're going to have economic security, it's important that this infrastructure be built. So just to be clear, uh, and former Energy Secretary of these United States, Dan Briette, is with us. Uh, you're a gentleman, so I know you don't want to make this too adversarial, but I, I want to understand when we talk about a lot of facilities in the Northeast, like here in Pennsylvania, have taken uh, refining offline or won't build pipelines, 
Are those for political reasons? Are, are, is that kind of the environmental movement that's stopped a lot of that? I assume it's probably largely, maybe not exclusively, but largely <clears throat> Democrats in charge of making those decisions. I'm, I'm just trying to understand the politics of it, I guess. Sure. It, it's a little bit of both. It's a little bit of activism on the part of environmental, non-governmental organizations. You know, people, I don't hate to name names, but you know all their names. Uh, and on, on, on the Democratic side of the aisle, there seems to be a feeling that, you know, fossil fuels are bad. Any type of fossil fuel is bad. And, you know, the, the, the challenge that we face, you know, today is that renewable power, which I think is something most people support. You know, Pennsylvania has a very diverse energy supply. You have lots of wind energy out in the western part of your state. And um, those things are important to continue to develop out. But right now, renewable technologies or renewable energy is dependent upon fossil fuels. You must have natural gas backup. You must have coal backup. And in some cases, you need nuclear backup to this renewable power, because if the wind doesn't blow or the sun doesn't shine, your lights don't come on. It's just that simple. And, uh, you know, there seems to be some in the political field or in political, political class that don't want to take those incremental steps toward perhaps a more renewable future. You have to have fossil fuels today. Mr. Secretary, we're seeing uh, costs go up at the pump. Um, you know, they passed $3 in our backyard here in, in the Philadelphia metro area and surrounding counties, uh, maybe higher in certain places, but it's certainly over $3 in most places now here. Uh, I see, again, down to our south, these cell phone videos of people sitting in lines. I guess North Carolina specifically declared a state of emergency on this. What is the... That's correct. I'm trying to understand the supply of it all. I mean, obviously, there's a shortage. Um, there's an emergency shortage in places like North Carolina. You know, we're all kind of self-interested. What does that mean for the Philadelphia area? Why is it different from state to state? How does it work, sir? Well, generally, what's happening in North Carolina is the governor there issued emergency order uh, so that the gas, what happens every year in the spring is that the formulations of gas change. We go from winter fuels to summer fuels. And that's to allow the states to comply with the Environmental Protection Agency, EPA, mandates on, on, on air quality. So those fuel switches occur pretty much every April and every May. What the governor of North Carolina has done is suspend that switchover. And what that, what that allows is for the gas that we already have in the system to be shipped out to the retailers so that consumers can have access to it. Absent that emergency order, the winter fuels would have to be suspended and we'd have to wait until the, the summer fuels come online. And because the pipeline is shut down, you can't get that summer fuel to places like North Carolina. So that's what that emergency order is for. And I would suspect that you'll probably see more of that in the Northeast in places like Pennsylvania uh, if the Colonial Pipeline uh, cannot come back online very shortly. But these lines that we're seeing, is it there a shortage or people are just kind of panic buying because they think there might be, kind of like there was a run on toilet paper during COVID for no real reason? I mean, is there still ample supply out there in the system or is that is that quickly yeah. growing up? No, I, I think there's ample supply right at the moment. I, I think, you know, there's probably a mix of anxiety about not being able to purchase gasoline and, uh, you know, perhaps some shortages in localized areas. Again, where folks were beginning the process of switching over the fuels and perhaps got caught in the middle of doing that and they may be a little bit short on their supply. But uh, by and large, <clears throat> excuse me, by and large, the, um, you know, supply is there, production is there. 
uh, you know, I, I worry about our long-term production here in the United States. I think, you know, if you look back over the course of the last three to four years, you'll see that the United States became the largest producer of oil and gas in the world. We were larger than Russia. We were larger than Saudi Arabia. And, uh, you know, to the extent that activists, to the extent that they have policies in place with the new administration that might curtail that production, then we could be looking at shortages down the road. So when Colonial, this major pipeline that supplies half the country's gasoline needs, and particularly in the Northeast, when it shuts off like this, what, is it, what does that mean and for how long? What are they doing and, and why? Well, what they're doing is trying to confirm the intelligence that we, we know is out there uh, with regard to this group called Dark Side. And that's an organization that I learned about, we learned about as a government uh, sometime around the middle of last year. Uh, we saw them for the first time. We don't know much about them. We don't know who's associated specifically with this group or who's associated specifically with this particular cyber attack. So I assume that what the government's doing today, what the Biden administration is doing today, is looking through the intel, trying to confirm what they think they know at this point, and then inform the colonial people of that, and then work closely with them to determine what are the next steps that colonial needs to take to get out of this jam. So <clears> the, the pipeline. The, I'm sorry to interrupt you. The, the hack. No, just because I'm sorry for the uh, total lack of knowledge on this. When when one hacks in a hostile nation or whomever hacks into an oil pipeline, is that what physically shuts it off, or the the oil producing people no. that move the product no. shut it down? Yeah, yeah, the oil producing people shut it down. And okay. in certain cases, it depends on what they've hacked. And that's part of the confirmation process. If they've hacked the internal controls, what's called the ICS system, that's the, the part of the computer you know, programming that allows you to actually control the pipeline, turn the valves on and off. If they've hacked that, we've got a big problem. If they haven't hacked that, they've simply t- taken data uh, from, from the Colonial Pipeline Company, and they're holding it ransom, which is typically what this organization does, dark side, then it's just a matter of, colonial learning what that is and deciding whether or not they want to pay the ransom or whether or not they want to turn the pipeline back on and take their chances. That's a decision they're going to have to make because it is a private pipeline. Uh, But we're we're going to have to wait for that process to unfold a little bit. Wow. All right. And, uh, yeah, to your point, I remember very vividly talking with you um, maybe two years into the Trump administration. There there was uh, what was known, I'd heard, as almost a glut of oil. They were tankers that literally couldn't unload. I mean, we started filling tankers, right? They were out to sea, just floating around, waiting to find a port um, that our reserves were stockpiled. We, we had a lot. I mean, we were awash in oil. True? That's, Not that's too long exactly ago. right. Yeah. yeah, no, that's, well, about a year ago, we had an enormous problem with storage because when COVID uh, became an issue, uh, the economy shut down. And once the economy shut down, demand for refined product went away because people weren't going to work. And the oil just started backing up. So the president directed me to open up what's known as a strategic petroleum reserve and make it available to the private industry, which I did. And that's what you and I were talking about. And so is it are we still, uh, for want of a better term, living off of that glut or is that has that quickly diminished? Or um, again, you say there is no real emergency in supply right now. When when could it become an emergency or a problem in terms of supply? Well, I think if they don't get the pipeline back up by the end of the week, we're going to have some serious challenges in the Northeast. So uh, I'm sure they're working 24-7 trying to figure this out and make some business decisions about how to open. But uh, we have about three to four days 
uh, left this week, and uh, they're going to have to figure out what to do with that pipeline. You know, in terms of our overall capacity, it's gone down, obviously, because of the pandemic. And I'm afraid that it may go down even further if we continue this, this environmental activism that's occurring all throughout the country. Uh, but, but for today, as we sit here today, uh, we have oil here in the United States. We have the ability to produce and we have the ability to refine. And uh, we're going to be just fine. Final question for you, Mr. Secretary. What If you were still in the post and this had happened on your watch, what do you suspect your actions would be today? Is this a is this a round-the-clock thing for the Secretary of Energy? Are you up day and night until this thing is resolved? <laughs> well, I, I can't speak for Jennifer Granholm. I don't know if she's up day or night. I hope that she is. I know I would be. Um, yes, this is something that falls squarely within the uh, Department of Energy. Uh, it's a responsibility that the Secretary of Energy owns. We are what's known as the energy-specific or the energy sector-specific agency for these types of, of events. And uh, we had we created, uh, President Trump directed me to create a special office within the Department of Energy. It's led by an assistant secretary. And that person's only job is to deal with cybersecurity within the utility space, within the electric space, within the gas space, and within the entire energy space. Can you ever... Sorry, I know this really was my last question. Can you ever really ward off cyber attacks? or is that, I mean, it's always evolving, and, and people that are sophisticated at it are the tops at it. They're hackers for a reason. Can you ever really fully ward it off? Is there any sort of fail-safe, foolproof cyber attack uh, um, that, that, uh, that, that someone can insulate themselves from as a company or a utility? It's very difficult, Chris. It, it, it's very hard. you got to remember... You know, when you're in private industry or you're, you're running your company each and every day, you're always on defense. You're never really on offense. The hackers are always on offense. Yeah. So they have the advantage. Uh, they're at the top of the hill looking down at you, for instance, if you're a military. I was in the Army, so I can relate to, to that, uh, that analogy. But you're always playing defense when you're, when, you're on the, when you're in the private sector with regard to cybersecurity. So it's very, very difficult. Sir, I am so grateful for your time and your perspective. I, I was elated that we could secure you today on such an important day and an important subject. Um, I hope as we learn more, perhaps we can have you back. Thank you for your willingness this morning, sir. Anytime, Chris. I'm always there. You know, uh, you know, my wife's from Philly, so i got a soft spot in my heart for your show and for that city. So anytime. Thank you, Mr. Secretary.